to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. The Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation. It's like marijuana ought to be legalized. Good people smoke marijuana. Now, here's your host, Radical Russ Belleville. Good day, tokers and toquettes and non-toking lovers of liberty. It is Tuesday, April 4th, 2017, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. It's episode number 919, and coming up on today's show, in the news, Argentina follows the latest United States trend of legalizing medical marijuana where patients can't use actual marijuana. In our cannabis focus, West Virginia and Utah provide contrasting religious views of marijuana. In drug war data mining, Maine once again proves drug testing for welfare is a wasteful failure. In our Reformers Reader, Freedom Leaf editor Steve Bloom previews the April issue and the upcoming International Cannabis Business Conference in Berlin. And in the Radical Rant, I examine the latest states to prove my medical marijuana pharmaceutical box canyon theory. Then in hour two, it's a dangerous day to be driving the streets of New Orleans as two separate auto crashes occur as a result of high-speed police chases over weed. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis News. This is your Cannabis Headline News for Tuesday, April 4th, 2017. Argentina's Senate has given final legislative approval to a bill legalizing the use of cannabis oil and other marijuana derivatives for medicinal purposes. The legislation approved by Senators Wednesday also creates a medical marijuana research program at the health ministry, which must guarantee free access to cannabis oil and other derivatives to patients who join the program. Under the new legislation, government agencies will be authorized to grow cannabis for research purposes and to produce cannabis oil and derivatives for patients. The state can import cannabis derivatives until they can be produced locally. President Donald Trump on Friday signed legislation backed by two Texas Republicans that will allow states to expand the pool of applicants for unemployment benefits who can be drug tested. The bill, sponsored by Senator Ted Cruz and Representative Kevin Brady, nullifies a Labor Department rule that went into effect in September, limiting drug tests to applicants who had a job that does regular drug screenings. The measure traveled down a partisan path in Congress, passing through the Senate earlier this month with a party-line vote. Four Democrats in the House voted in favor of the bill in February. After several hours of debate over two amendments, the West Virginia House approved a more restrictive change to a bill that would legalize medical marijuana and advance the bill to a third reading today. Delegate John Schott, a Republican of Mercer, described his amendment as, quote, putting a toe in the water instead of, quote, plunging in head first, characterizing the original Senate bill as the, quote, wild, wild west, end quote. He said this amendment was modeled after the Pennsylvania statute. Under Schott's amendment, which won approval, the Bureau of Public Health would operate the program. The Bureau would certify the dosage of medication and the delivery for medication. Schott said under his amendment, smoking and edible products would not be allowed. However, a person could get a pill, oil, or topical forms. They also could put drops into edibles or into tea. 
Supporters of a bill that would increase the number of licenses Maryland will issue to growers of medical marijuana dropped a proposal Monday that would have allowed the drug to be used to treat heroin addiction. After the, after the provision was eliminated, the House of Delegates rejected a flurry of Republican amendments to the legislation and gave it preliminary approval. The notion that marijuana could be a useful tool in fighting Maryland's heroin problem was immediately criticized by researchers who said there was scant evidence that cannabis is effective in treating addiction. Restrictions on smoking marijuana for medical purposes would be loosened under legislation approved by a North Dakota House committee. Under the version of the bill passed by the Senate last month, a physician that authorized a patient to smoke marijuana must attest that no other form would be effective. But the House's version does not include that stipulation. The House bill allows for the use of tinctures, transdermal patches, topicals, capsules, and cannabinoid concentrates. Minors would not be able to smoke marijuana for medical purposes. Lawmakers have proposed removing a section of the law allowing patients who live more than 40 miles away from a facility to cultivate up to eight marijuana plants. Kansas City voters will decide tonight whether to greatly reduce penalties for possession of small amounts of marijuana. Supporters of Question 5 will be out near the polls today handing out information on what the decriminalization measure really means. Question 5 would mean anyone 21 and older caught with under an ounce of weed would get a ticket with a $25 fine in Kansas City. City prosecutors say there are downsides to the measure. Offenders would have to plead guilty to possession of a controlled substance, which doesn't look good in background checks, and they would not be eligible to hire free public defenders to help make sure the charge doesn't show up on their records. The Texas House Criminal Jurisprudence Committee advanced a marijuana decriminalization bill on Monday with the help of two Republicans. With a 4-2 vote, the committee approved House Bill 81, authored by Chair Joe Moody, a Democrat of El Paso, at Monday's hearing. Under HB 81, police would ticket someone caught with an ounce or less of marijuana rather than charging them with a Class B misdemeanor, which carries a punishment of up to six months in jail. This has been your Cannabis Headline News for Tuesday, April 4th, 2017. I'm Russ Belville. In the interest of fair and balanced journalism, the Russ Belville Show presents... The Anti-Drug Public Service Announcement of the Day. I love my boyfriend. We've been together since like 8th grade. He's my best friend. He takes care of me. This has been the Russ Belleville Show's anti-drug public service announcement of the day, exclusively on RadicalRust.com. You know Herb Thrasher from the Herb Thrasher Flower Hour. Now get ready for Herb Age Designs for the proud cannabis consumer. Herb Age Designs, lifestyle gear for the 420 friendly. Herb Age Designs, we've got frisbee golf discs and durable hemp gear. Herb Age Designs. We've got shot glasses, drinking glasses, coffee mugs, and beer cozies. Check us out on Facebook and online at HerbAgeDesigns.com. And follow Herb Age and Herb Thrasher on Twitter. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. Legalized marijuana is always a very difficult question for medicinal purposes, for medical purposes. 
absolutely it's fine you can find radical russ online everywhere normal stands for responsible adult cannabis use if cannabis use is causing problems in your life consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use cannabis use is not without risks even though the risks are far less than those posed by legal drugs. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, I want to take a look at the role religion plays in some people's political views regarding marijuana legalization and medical marijuana. The latest example of this comes to us from the state of West Virginia. Now, in West Virginia, they are close to passing a medical cannabis law, and they're one of the six remaining states that have absolutely no form of marijuana reform uh, in the form of legalization, medical cannabis, or cannabidiol. So this would be a great victory for West Virginia. However, the path by which this bill has traveled to the governor's desk or is traveling to the governor's desk, it's not there yet, does reveal uh, some of the religious influence that has uh, tainted this debate. And it comes to us by way of the West Virginia Republican Party. And the West Virginia Republicans are have written a letter to the fellow uh, West Virginia House Republicans who are hearing the third reading of this medical cannabis bill. And the problem here is that, well, in the Senate bill, the Senate bill for West Virginia is actually a pretty decent medical cannabis bill. It allows for patients to grow their own cannabis and to smoke marijuana. The House version, on the other hand, wants to strip away the right to home grow and dictate that patients cannot smoke cannabis. They cannot have raw cannabis bud. And as I've said a million times on this show, if I can't have marijuana in my hand to smoke, it's not a medical marijuana state. It's a medical cannabinoid state. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in the Radical Rant when I discuss the pharmaceutical box canyon of medical marijuana. But what I want to touch on in the cannabis focus today is this letter. From the Republican Party Platform Committee in West Virginia, the head of the Republicans, and this is a letter that went out to the House Republican members who are debating this amendment and this particular medical cannabis bill, which is fine. They can have their opinions on this, and they discuss uh, their platform. Uh, in the, uh, the platform of the West Virginia Republicans, they say, quote, we support those who are practicing drug abuse prevention efforts at the local and state levels and oppose the normalization, legalization, or decriminalization of any illicit drugs, end quote. And that's fine. The, the Republican Party can have that particular stance on the issue, and I encourage debate on these sorts of issues. Where I have a problem is in their penultimate paragraph, second from the end here, and I'll just read to you uh, verbatim. Again, it is our right as Americans to disagree and debate issues, but as Republicans, it is a privilege to represent our platform. In these final days of the legislative session, and as you consider Senate Bill 386, please remember 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, quote, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, end quote. That I've got a big problem with, citing a Christian Bible verse that characterizes marijuana reform as the devil 
seeking to devour people. Uh, I got a big problem with that. First of all, let's uh, try and recall that we're supposed to have a wall of separation between church and state in this country. And folks, that's not to protect the state. That's to protect the church. (laughs) I know a lot of people think of it the other way, that uh, we're trying to protect the government from uh, the influence of the majority religion. But it also works the other way. Because once we break down this wall of separation between church and state, once we start allowing for our political discourse to be dictated by religion, the question then becomes, which religion? And that's where the majority begins to rule and we start to see the rights of the minorities and minority religions and those of us without religion to be trampled upon. So I would encourage the uh, West Virginia House Republicans to disregard the Bible verse and to take religion out of their debate when it comes to whether or not patients should be able to use a, a a healing plant. And, and it's really quite absurd. Again, I'll, I'll always give you the disclaimer that I'm an atheist. I don't subscribe to any uh, of these religions, but I'm well informed about these religions. I grew up in a Christian religion. I grew up in a very Christian family and, and area of the United States in Southern Idaho. And I've studied this book, and I I seem to recall that on page one, page one of the Christian Bible, Genesis chapter one, verse 29, he has given you all of the herb-bearing seeds, and for you they shall be used as meat. It seems pretty clear (laughs) that if you believe in a creator that created all all mankind, all animals, all plants, that that creator put cannabis on this planet. And there are many people in the Christian religion, who believe that cannabis is part of the holy anointing oil described in the New Testament used uh, for the rabbis, including Jesus Christ, as part of their worship and part of their ceremony. So it just boggles my mind to have Christians using the Bible as a method to debate against using a medicine their creator put on the earth for them. It just seems to be the height of hypocrisy to me. And in contrast, it's interesting to me how while in West Virginia, they're citing religion to stop medical marijuana, to try to restrict medical marijuana. Yesterday, I had a great discussion with my friend Angela Baca, a great investigative journalist who's done a lot of work in Utah, and she talked to me about what's called the Mormon carpool. Utah was the first state to pass one of these CBD oil laws uh, to allow epileptic kids to use non-psychoactive cannabidiol. But of course, it provided no place to get it. It provided no protection for people who are cultivating cannabis and processing it into oil. So most people have to get that oil from another location. And for Utahns, that means getting it either from Colorado or from California. And what I was told is that there's now underground networks of Mormon families, Mormon moms, who are carpooling and taking the medicine from Orange County, California, from Denver, Colorado, and in a series of relay stops, transferring it from mom to mom, from family to family, to get that cannabis oil into the Salt Lake City area, into Utah in general, to help treat these kids. And as we were discussing this, I I kind of let uh, Angela know, you know, because I was raised in a Mormon family, uh, I, I let her know that the 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 Mormon religion is different from a lot of the mainstream Christian religions and not from a, just a theological perspective, which a lot of people are aware of, but from a cultural perspective, whereas the 
Protestant churches and Catholic churches in America come at their religion from the the perspective of being the dominant religion, of being the majority. The Mormon religion grew up under a culture of fear and persecution, uh, driven out of New York State, driven out of Missouri, driven to Utah because of their unconventional beliefs about polygamy and other Christian uh, theology. So the Mormon church has always been at an arm's length from the government, uh, a a distrust of the government, a, a feeling that they obey a higher law than what the state or the federal government is uh, is presenting. And so from that perspective, it's not surprising to me that Mormons are largely disobeying the prohibition on interstate drug trafficking. To them, to, 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 to the Mormon culture, there's a feeling that, that Mormons are the last hope for American democracy, that the United States Constitution and Declaration of Independence were divinely inspired documents, and that that the Mormons will be the ones that save America from, while it's hanging by a thread, that's one of the uh, prophecies, the Constitution's hanging by a thread, It's it's a Mormon prophecy. So it's not surprising to me that the members of that religion are a little more willing to buck the federal government and buck the state government and their laws when it comes to providing healing to their people. Also, if you don't know this about the Mormon culture, Mormons take care of their own. That's another part of the culture that was built up from their persecution and their isolation, a need for them to take care of their own people. They weren't going to be able to expect help from the government, from the state, from typical welfare agencies because of their persecution. So within the Mormon church, there's an amazing welfare system. Seriously, if if you if you run out of a job, if you're uh, hurt or injured, the next thing you know in your ward, uh, the Mormon families will start stopping by your house and bringing you pre cooked meals, and and there will be uh, there can be financial assistance to help you out through the church. So that same network now is being taken advantage of by the people, by the moms who are involved in this Mormon carpool smuggling ring, and it's just amazing to me because to me it shows a more positive view. A, a more positive Christian view of medical cannabis. This is another aspect of Mormon culture is that uh, Mormons are very health conscious. They're very much into nature and, per, uh, and preservation and conservation. The, the real meaning of conservative, you know, to conserve nature, to worship and respect nature. So it's not all that surprising that when provided with a natural plant herbal medication, they would adopt that and embrace that. In fact, uh, if you know anything about the nutraceutical industry, things like Melaleuca and all of these not approved by the FDA type uh, uh, products that are produced out there, uh, Utah is the home of many of those companies. And Senator Orrin Hatch from Utah has been the strongest champion of the nutraceutical industry. So that, too, kind of folds into this Mormon Utah acceptance of the medical nature of plants. Now, of course, the Mormons and religion in general don't support intoxication, don't support wild partying lifestyles. So it's probably going to be a long time before we see uh, the legalization of recreational cannabis in a state like Utah or West Virginia for that matter. But it's interesting to me how West Virginia Republicans will use religion to try to stop people from being healed by the creator's plant. That's just the ultimate in in Christian hypocrisy, if you ask me. Let's hope that more religious people start to take heed of their own Bible and start to recognize the healing power of cannabis. It's long, long overdue.
It all goes to show you that it's always something. What's this all I hear about protecting our natural racehorses? Other kinds of horses are nice, too. Hey, folks, it's uh, 20 after the hour. That means it's 420 in the mountain time zone. Happy 420, you Rocky Mountain tokers. When we come back, we're going to talk about how Maine has once again proved drug testing for welfare is a costly failure. Russ Belville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. Georgia. Hi, this is Willie Nelson. Alcohol prohibition didn't work in the 1920s, and marijuana prohibition isn't working today. It's time we stopped arresting responsible marijuana smokers. It's the fair thing to do. For more information, contact Normal, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Call toll-free 888-67-NORML or visit their website at norml.org. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Well, today we take a look at the state of Maine, where Republican Governor Paul LePage has long contended that drug testing welfare recipients will protect taxpayer dollars. But only a handful of people in Maine have been tested under the current law. He, of course, is blaming the Democrats for that. The state of Maine, like others, requires drug tests for certain welfare recipients with drug convictions who score high on a substance use screening tool. Recipients who fail two drug tests are required to enroll in a treatment program to try to keep their welfare benefits. Since 2015, only 23 people scored high enough on the screening tool to be subjected to drug testing. That's 0.01% of the total welfare recipients in Maine. Of the 23 people that scored high enough on the quiz to get a drug test, 11 of them lost their temporary cash benefits for failing to complete the required drug tests, and four lost their benefits after refusing to take the drug test. So the department didn't provide any data on how much the program cost or how many tested positive for drugs like marijuana in years past, I can tell you that the cost for these drug tests can range from 39 to $89 a uh, participant. So let's see, if 23 people scored high enough, and that's 0.01%, we can uh, multiply that by 10,000? Okay, so uh, 230,000, 23,000, something like that. Whatever it is, it's a whole lot of people <laughs> that you had to pay for drug tests for, for screening for. The administration of Paul LePage says that Democrats have watered down drug screening and testing requirements for 8,000 Mainers who receive cash assistance and 180,000 individuals who receive food assistance. Now, 
the the thing that's fr- scary about this to me that really bothers me about this whole drug testing for welfare idea. The point they're trying to make is they're trying to say that taxpayer dollars should not subsidize somebody's drug addiction. As if someone who's poor, out of work, in need of assistance, is going to get their welfare check, get their welfare money, and spend it all on drugs. We don't want to subsidize that. Well, here's the problem. First of all, when you drug test these people, state after state that's done it, has found that the welfare recipients have lower positive test rates by far than do the uh, people in the general workforce. It's about 2% for the people on welfare, about 8% for the general workforce. Second of all, the reason for that is because people on welfare are poor and guess what? Drugs cost money. And most people, especially people who are, are weed smokers, are not going to blow their whole welfare check on weed to the detriment of paying their uh, bills, to the detriment of paying their, uh, paying their rent and so forth, taking care of their kids. So this is something that uh, we definitely have to uh, pay attention to. This is something that is going to be a problem for people all throughout lots of lots and lots of states uh, when it comes to this drug testing for welfare Uh, in the state of Maine, where only 23 people have been uh, tested for this. The reason why is because the state of Florida pioneered this. The state of Florida was the first one, and it said that they would drug test all recipients. Everybody who wanted to apply for welfare, they were going to drug test them. The court struck that down. 11th Circuit Court of Appeals struck that down because that's the government seizing your property, your bodily fluids without a warrant and without probable cause to believe you committed a crime. Even people on welfare, even poor people still have a Fourth Amendment right to not have the government shaking them down for no good reason. So, These states since then have added this little step, this little step of having to take some sort of quiz, some sort of survey combined with whether or not you've got previous drug convictions. And if you fail that test, if you fail this little quiz, that's what gets you marked for taking the drug test. Well, how many people are going to be honest on that quiz when it comes to deciding whether or not you're going to be able to get welfare to feed your kids? And the questions come up, uh, do you know what a blunt is? Have you ever smoked marijuana? Do you know people that use drugs? These little quiz questions that are supposed to flag you as a possible risk. People aren't stupid. They're going to answer the questions the way they believe the test wants them to answer the questions in order for them to get their money. The 23 that actually failed the test are either stupid or incredibly honest (laughs) and ended up having to take the test. So already you've got a system that's flawed because there's no way the people who really have problems, the ones you do want to identify are going to be honest on that particular quiz. But let's say they are, let's suppose that you do manage to find the right person and you manage to find the, the need to take them off of welfare. Then what are they going to do? First of all, if someone's got a serious, serious drug addiction, like heroin or crack or something like that, that's compelling them to use it, 
They're not the people that make intelligent decisions. It's not like you threaten their welfare and they're going to go, oh, well, gee, I should stop being addicted. That's not how addiction works. People don't make rational choices when they're addicted. And if it's somebody who's on weed, then it's not a problem. It's not something that's going to harm them or their family in any significant way. They claim this is to try to get people off of welfare and ready to take jobs because the jobs out there drug test, but that's not always true. Not all jobs drug test. If the problem is people are on welfare because they can't get jobs because those jobs won't hire them because they turn up positive for marijuana metabolites, the testing's the problem, not the worker. All right, we got to take a break. My computer is telling me something very, very uh, scary here. (laughs) And uh, I hope we'll be right back. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Coming on Monday, May 1st, 2017, a new daily podcast dedicated to the expanding world of medical cannabis, adult marijuana, industrial hemp, and spiritual ganja. Featuring leaders and experts from the worlds of activism, business, research, and entertainment. It's the Marijuana Agenda with Russ Belleville, premiering May 1st on MJAgenda.com. Learn more at MJAgenda.com. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. A substance that half Americans think should be legal, and more than two-thirds say the states should be free to regulate. You can find Radical Russ online everywhere. Warning. Hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. Or at least they pay me to say that. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. A public service message from the Russ Belleville Show. The best weapon you can have in the Prohibition War is your mind. Fill your head with the knowledge you need by checking out this latest entry in the Russ Belleville Show's Reformers Reader. Welcome back, everybody. 30 after the hour time for our Reformers Reader. And today in the Reader, we're going to be taking a look at the newest edition of Freedom Leaf magazine. And joining us to discuss it is the editor of Freedom Leaf, Steve Bloom. How are you doing, Steve? Hi, how you doing, Russ? How are you? I'm fantastic. Now, uh, we were talking about, uh, of course, the uh, Reformers Reader, the new issue of Freedom Leaf is just about to hit the newsstands, isn't quite out yet. Can you give us a date when people will be able to get their latest Freedom Leaf? Well, you know, it'll be out in the next few days. Uh, you know, we go up online and we'll have a digital version up shortly and, uh, and then we'll have some hard copies available next week for uh, the 420 celebration. It is our 420 issue, uh, so there's a big focus on 420, a good calendar of events, uh, we have uh, uh, what we call 420 by the Bay. It's Debbie Goldsberry telling her story of the origins of 420. Uh, I like to tell my story, and her story is kind of similar because we both discovered 420 at the same time at the Dead Show uh, in Oakland in 1990 when somebody was walking around with the famous flyer telling the story of 420. 
they received it at the can booth and I got it as I was walking around and you know, that flyer has disappeared over the years, but I, uh, but it told the story of 420 at that point, you know, that what the people who created the 420 myth, you know, had the idea that 420 was a marijuana arrest in progress. And, uh, turns out that really wasn't accurate, but it's still a great story. And it ended up becoming, you know, uh, the story of the Waldos, the, uh, St. Rafael High School students who coined the term. They're the ones who kind of are these days credited with the uh, the founding of 420. But I like to say I discovered 420 because I got the flyer. I was working for High Times back then, and we published the flyer. I was the news editor, and it just started to spread. And, you know, High Times had a big part in spreading the 420, you know, storyline. And uh, more and more and more over the years, it picked up, it became a big deal. But what I like to say about the whole 420 story is that even though the – uh, the original flyer, which, you know, was where we based it all on, uh, was somewhat erroneous in terms of 420 being a, uh, an arrest in progress. They also spent quite a bit of time in that flyer talking about the big event, you know, on 420 on 420 when everybody would get together across the world and all get stoned together. So they really kind of predicted the big 420 you know, celebration that we're, we've been having for the last 10 or 15 years now, you know, where it's become a big deal with concerts and events and conferences and expos all happening around the same time. You know, April is now 420 month. And those guys and women and whoever wrote that stuff predicted this. So I give them a lot of credit for that. Yeah, the the story of the Waldos. I got to I got to meet one of the Waldos at uh, one of the events I was at a, a year or two ago. It was great hanging out with those guys, and I I wonder if they could have even imagined that just this year, just like a week ago or so, the the dictionary. One I think it was Merriam Webster added four twenty to the dictionary. I, I mean that's that. how that's how mainstream this has gotten. It really has. I saw that. That's really cool. So uh, what where will you be for four twenty this year? That's a good question. You know, in New York, you know, New York is not quite the 420 capital. And uh, I just put together, you know, for Celeb Stoner, uh, the, you know, the yearly 420 event guide. And I always kind of pride myself in it being the best one out there. And then I have one event in New York. I'm sure, you know, all the different organizations in New York, something will happen. But, you know, nobody's announced anything in New York. And I will be in Berlin uh, uh, starting next week. Uh, I'll be out there for the uh, there for the ICBC uh, in Berlin. And I'm doing my Tommy Chong interview. And I'll be back the week of 420. So I was kind of um, actually uh, Chris Goldstein had asked me to uh, to do an appearance at his class down in Philadelphia and tell the 420 story. It's a possibility. I haven't committed to that. Hmm. And I might on the 422, I was thinking the Cannabis Festival in D.C. It seems like a fun event to go to, but I haven't really made my plans yet. You made your mention of the uh, International Cannabis Business Conference taking place next week in Berlin, Germany. You'll be there with Tommy Chong doing the uh, celebrity interview. And uh, what, does this, what does this mean to you all making it to uh, Berlin, making it to Europe finally? That's going to be exciting. You know, the event was founded by Alex Rogers, and Alex is a friend of, uh, of mine and many people in the marijuana scene going back many years. When I worked at High Times, he was living in Europe, and he used to come to the Cannabis Cup all the time in Amsterdam. And Debbie Goldsberry and her friends would come, and everybody seemed to know Alex. However, they were all sort of friends, and I met Alex that way. And then he was a he was an American guy, but living in Europe. And he came back to the U.S., moved to Oregon, started a business in the marijuana, you know, uh, uh, sector, and uh, and then started to do these conferences in Oregon and moved one to San Francisco and then had one in Vancouver. But he really is dead set on an international concept, 
you know, the ICBC, and he's got the European connections, so he, he he's going for it. You know, we're going for it. You know, we're going over there uh, and bring the brand uh, over to uh, to Germany and see how it goes. Uh, you know, I'm going to learn a lot, I'm sure. I've never been to Germany. Uh, the, the, the whole German, you know, cannabis scene will be completely new to me. I don't even know what kind of weed they have. I'm hoping they'll be, have some good hash, which they always have in Europe. Uh, and meet a lot of people and see how it goes. It'll be very exciting. And for me, I'll be doing my interview with Tommy Chong, which I've done now at four different ICBC events. And every time I do it, I shift it a little bit um, to wherever we are. And so this one will have a European focus. He actually lived in Europe with his wife around the time they were making uh, movies, you know, post Up in Smoke when uh, Still Smoking was made in Amsterdam. And, he and Shelby were living, and Paris were living in the south of France, and they lived in Paris. I guess that's how he's got his name. Uh, and so, you know, I'll, I'll ask him to tell some European stories. You know, I don't have any idea what his Germany background might be, and I'll have to learn because I was reading in his book, and he tells a lot of French stories, but nothing about Germany. So we'll see. That'll be sort of the different path that this interview will go but every time it's a little bit different you never know what tommy really wants to focus on but you know but well i'll try and steer him in that direction anyway <laughs> yeah it's always fun watching you interview tommy in those long forms it, tommy tells some great stories and the crowd is always uh, very entertained and informed by tommy chong also at the uh, icbc i understand uh representatives blumenauer and rohrabacher are heading to germany are there any other presenters that are of note that we should uh, tell people about you know, it's a good question because I, I, I thought Steve D'Angelo on the on the U.S. side was going to be there, and Aaron Smith from the NCIA. I'm not completely sure. I think Ed Rosenthal will be there. He's generally at most ICBC events. I haven't heard that Blue Marrow was part of it, so that must be new. Uh, I know Rohrbacher is going, and I heard there was another rep, but I didn't think it was Blumenauer. Maybe you know more than I do about that. Maybe that's some new news, but uh, I don't think it was Blumenauer, but definitely Rohrbacher is going. And they'll be just all hosted like European experts and German experts, so, you know, that's where where, you know, I'm just going to like, okay, let's learn some stuff over there, you know? Absolutely. All right, let's uh, get back to uh, Freedom Leaf for just a second, because in addition to it being the 420 edition, you usually have all sorts of uh, activism and other articles for people to pay attention to. What can they find in the upcoming issue? I'm pretty excited about a few things. You have an article. You did a great article about how to be a marijuana activist. There's like four or five steps you tell people to follow, and that's really good. Um, and uh, we have an interview with Ethan Nadelman, who's stepping away from the DPA as executive director and founder. And he, he told me it's like his first really exit sort of interview, the most he's really, you know, focused on uh, these questions. And actually was, you know, actually a written interview, and he's a good writer. And so we gave him the questions, and he wrote it out to us, and it's really well done. So um, I'm excited about that, and uh, I'm very excited about an excerpt we have from Cheech Marin's new book, uh, Don't Call Me Cheech. Uh, or don't call me Chong. My real name is Cheech, something like that. <laughs> the name and the title exactly. Um, but it's really we kind of like pick through. I kind of like I love doing excerpts, and it's you know, one of the things you notice in Freedom Leaf that might stand out. We always have a good book excerpt pretty much every month, and I love doing excerpts. I did that at High Times all the time, and you know it's just good writing that you can get for not a lot in terms of what you have to pay for. You might have to trade advertising and, and you get really good writers, well-edited stuff, you know, that you don't have to really do much with uh, and, uh, and quality material. And so this is, this is a good one. We, I went through, I kind of picked out the story of when Cheech met Chong and how uh, 
Cheech tells, you know, how they got together, which was in Vancouver. So that's, that's also in the magazine. And, and all the uh, requisite columns that all the different organizations do. I really am kind of proud of all the good writers we have in the magazine. It's developed over the last couple of years. The regular people, like in Guy O'Bealum and Amanda Ryman and Eric Altieri and Beth Mann and Sherry Sicard, who does our recipes and Rick Fromer, who kind of focuses on kind of the growth scene in California. We have such a lot of, a lot of good writers. I'm so proud of everybody. So it's just every every month you get another, you know, uh, round of articles from all our good writers. Plus, you know, you know, hopefully some really you know high quality features. And I think we're bringing it in the next issue. I'm excited about it. Yeah, I, one of the things I like about Freedom Leaf as well is just the format of it. That it's it's a, a smaller uh, a footprint on the magazine, so you can actually fit it in a jacket pocket or a back pocket when you're at an event. You know, some of these others you have to roll them up, and they're just kind of a pain in the butt. I, I, yeah, I love around. it. I, women especially they love to slip it in their handbags. You know, it's just yeah. like. I go to events all the time in New York, and I, I kind of I, I position myself by the door as people are walking out, and I make sure that you get your freedom leave, and they're always taking it and putting it in their little bit of handbags, and guys might even put it in their back pocket, so it is very handy. Uh, and for people who want to know, you know, freedom leave is available uh, at um, a lot of different stores in legal states. Uh, we don't have a real... Uh, extensive list, but you'll find it at Harborside and Magnolia Wellness and Ber- Berkeley Patients Group in the Bay Area, and you'll find it at select stores in Colorado, Oregon, and all the uh, chapters we work with from Normal and SSDP and Women Grow, they order uh, boxes and they bring them to different events they do. If you're in New York, you'll probably get a freedom leave because you come to an event that I'm at and I'm giving out magazines. That's pretty much how we do it. So but we're looking to expand our reach and we want more organizations to you know, support us. We're starting to work with the NCIA. We're going to be at their event in June uh, and we're sort of expanding with them and hopefully kind of work with their organization as well to kind of you know, reach out a little bit more and get the magazine in more places. It's available online. Uh, you know, as a digital uh, version, it's also uh, available in blog form because we take a lot of the articles and we blog it into onto the website freedomleap.com. And of course, freedomleap.com has fresh material too. That's not just out of the magazine, but we have both. Uh, and you can get a subscription. You know, if uh, that's probably the best thing to do because it's sometimes a little hard to find. Yeah, uh, but there's all kinds of ways to get the articles. You know, with blogging these days, you know, you, you know, you just put the articles. We don't put out the whole magazine, but we kind of take the highlights, you know, we just pick out what we think is, you know, I'd say three quarters of the magazine probably ends up online, you know, most of the articles, you know, uh, so that's, you're going to, you're going to be able to find it one way or the other, but it's nice to have the hard copy, you know, it's a nice little collectible. Absolutely. It's coming out uh, this week online and coming out a little later in the uh, hard edition, hardcover edition, the uh, Freedom Leaf magazine, April 420 edition coming up. And of course, the International Cannabis Business Conference happening in Berlin, Germany next week uh, on the 11th and 12th, is it? I think those are the dates. That's it. Yeah. Monday, Tuesday. I'll be there. I'll be there both days. But my Tommy Chong uh, interview is on the first day on the 11th around the 420. There we go. So check out uh, internationalcbc.com if you want to get uh, more information on that. And uh, speaking of the 420 holiday, I will be in Atlanta on 420 because Kevin Sabet will be there. He's putting on a Take Back 420 uh, kind of a Project Sam National Conference, and I figured I'd go crash that. So wish me luck there. You know, I recommend you go to Sweetwater uh, 420 Festival, which looks like the best event in the country in terms of a branded 420 event with some of the best bands you can imagine. And these are bands like Moe and Slightly Stupid and Trey Anastasio. I mean, Widespread Panic, hmm. all under the 420 banner. You should try and go. It's at Centennial Park. 
Uh, in Atlanta? I'm not kidding. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh. every year. Sweetwater 420 Fest. Look it up. Wow, okay. Sweetwater Great 420 lineup. Fest. Is there any other national fest yeah. you can think of that are 420 branded like that? Uh, well, Denver's you know, got one usually. Uh, yeah, they do, and they have. There's lots of like yeah, the Denver 420 Rally is going to have two chains, and you know, High Times Cannabis Cup that's around 420 is going to have a lot of good acts. Um, they have actually a lot of good acts. I mean, you know, the, the Snoop Dogg Wellness Retreat, you know, which is now being branded as Mount Cushmore, uh, that's going to be doing you know shows throughout the 420 cycle. You know, 418, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24. That and there, uh, that's. Red Man and Method Man, Wiz Khalifa, Be Real, Cypress Hill. It's an amazing tour that's branded around the 420 season, although I don't call it 420. So that's a really good one. Uh, and it's like fun stuff. Even you know, my friends at Magnolia Wellness, they're doing a farmer's market in, in, uh, in Oakland. They always do something fun. That's with Debbie Goldsberry. So uh, they're kind of the, the, the founders of the 420 events, really. They were, did the first ones uh, at the Maritime Hall in San Francisco, which Debbie, Debbie reminisces about in an article. But uh, so I'm thinking about, I'm going to be in Europe, so I have to kind of re- rethink it. It's going to be 1620. <laughs> That's right. So they, they don't do 420 in Europe. They do 24. <laughs> they got it all backwards. Well, Steve, right. Steve Bloom is the uh, editor-in-chief of Freedom Leaf Magazine and also at CelebStoner.com if you want to catch up on the entertainment and music news. And one quick thing before we go, I, I saw a meme the other day that uh, told me that Wiz Khalifa spends $10,000 a month on marijuana. Do we know where? <laughs> I don't know. But you know, did, you, did you hear the other story about him? He got in trouble down in Medellin because he went to Pablo yes. Escobar's grave and put a joint? <laughs> and they got mad at him for being so respectful to Escobar. <laughs> yeah, I think Conan O'Brien's joke on that was, uh, we will not have you desecrate the tomb of, of cocaine with marijuana. <laughs> right. That's, <laughs> That's about crazy. Right. Well, Steve, thanks for stopping in and talking to us, and uh, good luck with Freedom Life, and uh, have fun in, in Berlin, Germany. Wish I could be there. Yeah, thanks a lot. I'll catch you next month. All right. Steve Bloom from uh, Freedom Leaf. Check him out at freedomleaf.com. You can get that uh, magazine and uh, get it online or visit your local SSDP normal or women grow chapter event. They'll have copies as well. We're going to take a break. And uh, when we come back, we'll have time for the radical rant. How medical marijuana keeps marching into the pharmaceutical box canyon when we come back. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. At Herbie's Cannabis Seeds, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best quality seeds from the world's most respected cannabis seed producers, all at the lowest online prices. You can find Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. All cannabis seeds are sold as souvenirs and as a means of preserving cannabis genetics. Herbie Seeds in no way intends to condone, promote, or incite the use of illegal or controlled substances. We strongly urge all prospective customers to check their national laws prior to placing an order. Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. Proud sponsors of the Russ Belville Show and 420 Radio. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. I smell pot coming from over here and grilled onions from over there. Two of my favorite smells ever. Both those onions and that pot smell really good up here, you know. All right. Well, maybe you're high, too. Warning. Hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. 
These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me to say that. No bong. It's for my schlong. A public service message from the Russ Belleville Show. Total war against public enemy number one. Ten federal criminal penances for up to one ounce of marijuana. Marijuana is probably the most dangerous drug. Legalization is just another word for surrender. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. This is not medicine. This is a cheech and chong show. Encourage people to use less drugs. I am ill. That was the point. I think we made a mistake to leave the state. Negative reports coming out of Colorado. Don't smoke marijuana. Today in the Radical Rant, I want to revisit something I call the medical marijuana box canyon theory. This is something I promulgated around 2009 when I was working for Normal, and it was as I looked at the the trajectory of medical marijuana, I noticed a pattern, and that is it began with a whole lot of freedom, and as it has evolved, it has become more and more restrictive. The idea of this is so long as we continue to artificially separate cannabis consumers based on the reason they use cannabis, our opponents are going to continue to move the needle to get fewer and fewer people on the side of those who are allowed to use cannabis. In other words, they want to make sure there's a bright line separating the patients from the potheads, and they want to move that line to fewer patients being protected. The evidence of this can be seen in the most recent state to be discussing medical marijuana, the state of Nebraska. Their unicameral legislature is considering medical marijuana. But again, like the other recent states, this medical marijuana uh, would not allow people to smoke or grow marijuana. They would only be able to use pills, liquids, lotions, or a vaporizer. The notion of the medical marijuana box canyon is that So long as we continue to tout just the medical benefits of cannabis, that it is a medicine and that's a acceptable reason for people to use it, our opponents are going to want to pharmaceuticalize it. They want to take and use jujitsu to take our momentum and our popularity, the uh, how we've been able to get 93% of the public to support medical marijuana. They want to use that and redirect that force toward medical cannabinoids, toward sprays, tinctures, and inhalers, toward things that can be barcoded, toward things that will soon be replaced by Epidiolex, Sativex, and other GW pharmaceuticals. And evidence of this can be seen in this spreadsheet that I've put together. I've been keeping track of all the medical marijuana states. And you can see in the first column, we've got all the states. They're blue if they're legalized. They're green if they're medical. All of these states have medical marijuana. And I've sorted them by year. So we start with California in 1996 and we move all the way to the point where we get to Pennsylvania in 2016. Now of these medical marijuana laws, as you look across the columns, you'll see a column that says medical marijuana percentage. And that represents the initiative vote, the percentage of that initiative vote that passed medical marijuana, or it will say legislature to indicate that that was passed by a legislature rather than an initiative. And what you'll find is that the initiative states were the first ones to pass medical marijuana by and large. 
California, Alaska, Oregon, Washington, Maine, Colorado, Nevada, Montana, and Michigan from 1996 to 2008 were the states that passed medical marijuana through initiatives. There were four states, Hawaii, Montana, Vermont, I'm sorry, Hawaii, Vermont, Rhode Island, and New Mexico that passed through their legislatures. But all of those states from 96 through 2008 allowed patients to cultivate plants. Anywhere from two plants all the way up to 12 plants, but there was the allowance for patients to grow their own plants. And of course, there was also possession limits anywhere from one ounce to Oregon's 24 ounces. That's medical marijuana, folks. That's what I consider medical marijuana. You can grow cannabis, you can harvest its marijuana, and you can smoke it. That's medical marijuana. But since 2010, since 2010, we have seen quite a different bit of spreadsheet here that shows, starting with Arizona, no plants allowed to be cultivated. Now, that's not quite accurate because you can cultivate marijuana, you can cultivate cannabis in Arizona as a patient if you live farther than 25 miles away from your nearest dispensary. Well, this is now, there are so many dispensaries in Arizona, this has now ended up in a situation where 97% of the population of Arizona lives within one of these 25-mile halos, lives within 25 miles of a dispensary. So 97% of the patients cannot grow their own cannabis. We've seen that evolve into New Jersey, Delaware, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Illinois, New Hampshire, Maryland, Minnesota, New York, Arkansas, Florida, North Dakota, Ohio, and Pennsylvania, all states that have not let patients, all patients, cultivate cannabis. Massachusetts will if you've got a hardship exemption that you have to have to qualify for. North Dakota will if you're 40 miles away from a dispensary, but now their legislature is looking at overturning that as well. And in the most disgusting development of these, three of these states, Minnesota, Ohio, and Pennsylvania, have mandated that the you can't even have marijuana. You can't even have the actual marijuana plant, the dried flowering tops of cannabis. You can't have that. You can only have sprays and inhalers and tinctures and, 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 and those types of items, non-smoked items. What this means, folks, is that they are turning marijuana from a plant we can all cultivate ourselves to heal ourselves into something we have to rely on the dispensary for, something we have to rely on some third-party grower to produce, something that can be marked up, barcoded, patented, and once again, put us in the hands of the medical pharmaceutical complex, require us to go to their learned clerics in their white robes who have their six-figure uh, student loan uh, debt and their massive amount of degrees. We have to go to them first before we can find our healing salvation. This is the medical marijuana box canyon. West Virginia was seeking to break that standard. West Virginia's Senate passed a bill that allowed patients to grow their own cannabis. Not a lot, two plants, but they would have been the first state, West Virginia, to have through their legislature since 2006, the first state through their legislature to allow patients to grow their own cannabis plants. But that looks like it's uh, gone by the wayside now as the West Virginia House has passed amendments to take away that ability to home grow cannabis plants. And legislatures across the country are working hard to take away 
this home grow right. In the state of Nevada, not only did they pass their recreational marijuana with a 25-mile halo in which you cannot grow your own cannabis, which, again, Nevada being a rural state means almost everybody will not be able to grow their own cannabis recreationally. They also added that to their medical law back in 2013. When the state of Nevada first built its medical marijuana law, it never had any sort of dispensaries, any sort of method for people to be able to cultivate or to be able to buy any cannabis products. As people clamored for dispensaries, the state responded, creating a dispensary system in 2013. But as part of that, took away the patient's right to home grow if they lived within 25 miles of those dispensaries. So yeah, it's a good thing you created the dispensary for the patient who needs one who can purchase that medicine, but you didn't need to take away the right of the poor patient who lives next door to him to cultivate his own medicine for a much cheaper cost. All of this boils down to these medical marijuana states trying to make sure they keep the potheads separate from the patients to make sure that the, the medical cannabis patients don't divert some of their crop to people who might be using it for not an approved reason. This medical marijuana box canyon can only continue to get more and more restrictive. The CBD laws are a perfect example of the medical marijuana box canyon. It's this desperation to get anything passed that you can and the willingness to be able to sacrifice conditions, possible conditions that people could have, methods of use of medical cannabis, uh, methods of uh, actual types of medical cannabis itself. And the more and more these restrictions are implemented, the more restrictions they continue to ask for. And all this does is it sets marijuana on a path for the people that use it as a medicine to be stuck in a pharmaceutical trap. The people who use this medicine who are currently getting it forced to get it in an oil form from a dispensary will soon see that replaced with epidiolex. We'll soon see that replaced with corporate FDA approved pharmaceuticalized versions of cannabis. Folks, the miracle of medical marijuana is not that it's a plant from which we can extract medicines. There's tons of those. We got all sorts of plants from which we extract medicines from. That's not the miracle of medical marijuana. The miracle of medical marijuana is that it takes us out of the medical pharmaceutical complex when it comes to treating ourselves. It means we don't need a doctor with the white coat and the six-figure student loan debt and the massive number of degrees and his buddy the pharmacist who has to have the same white coat and massive numbers of degrees and the medical school and the AMA and the pharmaceutical companies that sell us the drugs. Medical marijuana takes us out of that paradigm. Medical marijuana is as significant a reform as Martin Luther nailing his protest to the Catholic Church in the late, late 1500s, where the Catholic Church said you had to go through the learned men in the robes to get your salvation. Martin Luther said, no, we can go straight to the source for our salvation. That's the same thing medical marijuana does. It allows us to go straight to the source, straight to nature, to get our healing, to not involve any third parties or governments or approvals. And these latest states are trying to ruin it. All right, folks, that's all the time we got for Hour 1. Thanks, podcasters. Stay tuned, live viewers. We're back right after this. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. 
The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it.